Hello world and welcome to another episode of LJ Presents. This week, Robert Parham returns with another film that he is about to go into production called Mad as Hell that he is also starring in. And he's not alone. He brought with him Mr. George Price, also known as the original G-Man of hip-hop fame. We get down into it in regards to how gangster rap uh, became more prevalent than some of conscious hip-hop and he's also one of the major innovators in the game and I'm very very fortunate uh, to be able to hear his story about his side of things being an entertainer also a bodyguard and a chef and he's got a doctorate in musical theology I mean an all-around renaissance man so without further ado I present to you Mr. Robert Parm and the original G-Man Robert, you, you've, you've done this before. This isn't your first rodeo on my show, so it's pretty relaxed, what have you. I mean, especially during these times now and seeing G-Man on your uh, Facebook Live, it really, you know, it really resonated, you know, within me. And usually as soon as I get the, I got to talk to this guy, you know, like I just jump right on it. So, so G-Man, I, I appreciate you coming onto the show, Robert. Good to talk to you again. Um, before we actually get started, uh, G-Man, why don't you just give a brief introduction about you know who you are and uh, what you're doing in the Bay Area now? Well, this is the original G-Man of Hip Hop, formerly of the Sugar Hill family and formerly of Raw Bass and DJ Easy Rock. And I'm in town here to get ready for a movie that, that I'll be, I'm playing a lead villain in. Uh, I'm playing the lead villain in with uh, Mr. Robert Parham, and uh, I'm just excited. I'm ready to go, and, and we're going to do our thing. Awesome, awesome. And um, it's definitely, you know, good to have you on on the show. And, and Robert, if you want to just give a – I know you're about to start production, so where are you at in a pre-production now for the movie Mad as Hell? We are still uh, tightening up the script. I'm actually in post-production of two other – projects right now, which is uh, delaying my start date along with the uh, pandemic and the, and the riots, et cetera, and so forth. Um, but hopefully we'll begin shooting late July, early August. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, with everything that's uh, coming to a head now between the protestings and, you know, and the, and the pandemic, you know, it's really, you know, <laughs> I think that this is a good chance to hit the reset button to a certain degree. I mean, I know for me, you know, I've been able to do more interviews, which is great, as well as, you know, really take time to focus on on myself and, you know, my son and, you know, just being, you know, a regular person. I've noticed how everything is just kind of slowed down. So I, I kind of view this, you know, as a... Um, somewhat of a blessing in disguise but definitely but definitely you know putting in the work uh in regards to to what's happening now uh and some great things are happening uh you know during these times with the protests or what have you so you know i and i'm just excited that you know you're doing well you know with your films and you know it's a trip you saying you know that you've got like you got two films that's already in the can that you're finishing and you're trying to get this other one started. So, you know, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad things are going well for you, man. I, I really, I really am. Thank you. And, uh, um, actually have four films in a can. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sorry, Mr. Palm. <laughs> I mean, last we spoke, you didn't have an assistant. Then when I set this up, you said you'd have your assistant and I was like, Oh shit. Okay. I mean, all right. You know, now, now you got four films in the can, and so you know, I, you know damn, all right. <laughs> you know, with the productivity, you know. We all oh yeah. Help, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. But uh, G man, you know, yeah. I want to just go ahead and just jump jump right into it because I, you were on Robert's uh, Facebook Facebook Live, uh, and you were doing another interview for someone else. But when I got into uh, the interview was when you were talking about how hip hop had changed. And for me, you know, like 
I noticed the change, you know, definitely in the late 80s. But what what you had said, like, was a little bit before that time. So I guess that was the whole, like, getting everything ready because the groups that I was listening to, you know, when I was, you know, a young man was, you know, groups like, you know, Tribe Called Quest, Black Sheep, um, Arrested Development, Public Enemy, of course, like all the all the conscious hip hop. And when like the harder, you know, groups were coming around, that was like, oh, okay, I kind of attribute it to like, you know, rock or metal or punk or what have you. So, you know, you just had like a, a wide variety, but it definitely uh, started to become more prevalent, you know, in the nineties and, and this, and what, and what you said on Facebook live and in your other interview was all planned it didn't just happen naturally can you talk a little bit more about that yeah it wasn't a plan i mean it was a plan it wasn't it like natural evolution when you have natural evolution it normally turns out for the good and for the better because people evolve and they become better at their craft and better at what they do and more prolific in their in their expression of what they're trying to accomplish but when 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 people get involved, that's when you have man. When they get involved in it and they have ulterior motives to make money, they devise uh, what you call uh, coups, if you will, for lack of a better term. They they come up with a, with some type of idea manipulation just so they can make money. And uh, in the in the early nineties to 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 mid nineties, the early nineties, you started seeing a complete change from the consciousness to suck uh, hip-hop rap with substance going into hip-hop, which is more about disrespecting the women, more about uh, disrespecting authority, uh, more about playing into the drugs, the gangs, the violence, and so and so, and so forth. But that was an actual plan because, you know, as you know, I, I'm a professional bodyguard, and I was flown out to San Bernardino, California, up in the mountains to, uh, to be head of security for this event. Now, I didn't know what the event was about because when you, when you uh, set out to do a, some details, you get your, uh, your, 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 your orders or whatever, or your papers or your kit, if we call them, when you get to the location and we find exactly what we got to do and how we got to do it and, and we structure it so forth. But when I got to this place, I realized that I noticed a lot of people that I recognized from either magazine, TV, or that I've ran across in the entertainment industry. And... Uh, I was kind of like blown away a little bit by all the people that I recognized in there, and they was all top executives. They was they was moguls. They was they was either TV, radio, movie, uh, uh, music, especially the record industry. The, the, and I was like, wow, blown away with the people that were there. And they basically uh, was told asking everybody questions, doing some type of survey, asking them you know what their thought process was, and filtering the crowd out. So the people that was that was really into what they were talking about and only cared about the money in the bottom line. And uh, when you look at the crowd, you start. I started seeing a bunch of uh, some ball players come in, you know, athletes and so come in, and uh, and uh, and then they had representatives of bigger athletes in there. And because uh, of course, with being head of security, I had to know who everybody was coming in on a docket. You know what I'm saying? So right. They what they explained was they wanted all of these people that they brought in to stop investing their resources and their finances and all the, and all their uh, attributes to positive rap. They wanted them to stop. And uh, so some of the people that was there because of they loved the culture and they, and they loved the people was reluctant, if you will. So they asked them to, 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 to leave basically, basically it brought until they wanted them to leave. So as head of security, of course, I had to have my team, you know, escort the people that was out because I worked for the people that's running the the uh, the the, uh, the event. So mm-hmm. they escorted them out, not just out the house, but uh, off the property, out the out the compound. They was gone. Period. They was left. Mm-hmm. They went home. Whatever. But when the when the doors closed back up and the reality sunk in, then you start seeing these people get on stage talking about this is why we want you to stop putting your resources behind the positive hip hop and a positive rap because they wanted them, they knew that the inner city kids would buy into drugs, gangbanging, the fast life, fast money, which they was idolizing on TV with the uh, the influx of, of the 
cracks in, the crack came in. And so there was a lot of funds to be made real fast. You know what I mean? And one of my homies, which is my, my partner now, Free Ray Ricky, you know, we talk constantly, you know, he comes to my shows and stuff, you know, and he was even manipulated. So it wasn't more so his fault, the way the situation was. When you give somebody, when you give, when you give a dog a bone and, he know and that and he knows how to get meat from that bone that you don't know about then and you train him and teach him how to get the meat from inside the bone tomorrow if you will then he's going to mm. do what he, what he knows best and so everybody do, was doing what they thought was was great fast life gang banging colors rags you know uh it just the, the just the fast money the the women the cars all the things that was negative to a certain extent from the way they was obtaining it became prevalent in all in all hoods not just on the west coast but in all hoods to some extent you know so bottom line was they told them that they was going to take the resources that they have and put it behind privatized prisons you know what i mean and and at that time nobody knew what what that was but when they broke it down and said hold on excuse me uh but when they when they broke it when they broke it down and and explain to them what they were going to do. They were saying like in each inner city or each city across the board, they would have these nice buildings that's out there. That's all colorful downtown. If you go to any cities, you notice you see these type of buildings and they think they just maybe storage houses or something like that. <clears throat> in hindsight, they are storage houses. They store in people and it becomes a business. Then the, the, the private prisons are what they are. They're just, to me, they're just cargo holds for people to be in there. And they hold us in there. And I say us, but people in general, they hold them and they lock them down. And they got a, a contract with the government. And the government job is to make sure that them prisons stay full. And so they have to go out and meet quotas in order to fill these prisons. That's the whole set game plan. Not to mention we fall into it. We buy into it because we want the fast cars, the fast life, the money and the drugs. And we're doing all that stuff. So when they privatize these prisons and the government don't fulfill and they're not full with people, the government has a contract so they can sue the government and the government has to pay up. So they, in, in order for the government not to pay up, they gotta, they gotta house people in these and keep people in these, in these private jails and these private prisons. Right. Right. And what year did this meeting take place? It was, was it in the early eighties or no, this was the, the early, this was the early to mid nineties. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, I mean, that definitely falls into place, especially with uh, the, the crime bill in 1990. And then of course, uh, the other crime bill that happened during, uh, yeah, the, the war on drugs, the war on yeah. drugs and, and all that, the Nancy Reagan era, the Iran, mm-hmm. the Iran Contra affair, all that. And then, mm-hmm. and then they, they took a census because they realized that groups that was popularizing the gangster rap at that time, which was the biggest group was NWA. So they started, so they, so they used that as, as their platform to, to build their propaganda from, you know what I mean? Right. Right. The police came, I mean, the, the group came out with, you know, F the police and things like that. And, and when you, when you look at that, when you start saying that, then you become enemies within, you know what I mean? So then the, the police start having problems with, 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 uh, African-American Latinos, you know, and anybody that was basically filtering through with the drugs. But you notice it wasn't so many, uh, Caucasians that was involved in a lot of that stuff, except for they're spending the big money, investing in that, <clears throat> using and buying from the suppliers. But most of the people that were being housed in these in these prisons was Latinos and African-Americans. Right, right. And yeah, I mean, everything definitely falls into place, especially, you know, with what was going on with the music industry, you know, at that time definitely with uh the whole war on drugs and you know war on crime uh in particular the 94 you know crime bill uh with hillary clinton saying you know saying taking these super predators and bringing them to heel or what have you and with privatized prisons like i really don't think i really don't think a lot of people actually saw that this was this was the start of something you know atrocious and this is also, and we are right now, you know, at, at not even, I'm not even going to say tipping point because it's already tipped over. Now, these are like the ramifications of all of these things that we're seeing now that happen, you know, during you know, the, the, the late eight, the mid eighties, late eighties through the nineties and until now. So just 
so that you know our listeners uh, can get a get a base of who you are. I know you you know you've already you know introduced yourself, but what were some of the things that you were doing like back in the day? Like you were an innovator. You actually coined the phrase hip hop, right? Well, I, I, me and my crew, we came up with the concept overall of what it was. We didn't know it was going to be as big as it was. It was just, it started as just a few, a few guys that had some talent: break dancing, pop locking, ticking, rapping, rhyme, rapping, rhyming, writing in graffiti, and you know, so have you know those artistic talents. So, and then it started growing because people started seeing what we were doing, and, and people was joining in to what we were doing, and that was like in a city that was a melting pot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So all these all these aspects of the culture was prevalent. So we'd go to block parties, basement parties, house parties, you know, and, and on the corners in parks and we do our thing and, and we was real popular. So, you know, the older the older guys, the older guys would, would say that we were hip because we was popular, you know what I mean, everywhere we went. So that's where the term hip come from. The term hop come from go we were poor inner city kids. We couldn't really get around like they do today with some of the kids that, you know, are privileged to get around and have, you know, these at these cars and these and these these mopeds and these four wheelers and we didn't have all that. So in order for us to go to the to, to the meetings to hook up to talk about where we were all gonna meet the next Saturday or, or Sunday, whenever we were doing it, we went we hop over the turnstiles on the train and you know what I mean, so when the when the when the uh Metro police wasn't wasn't looking, we had to hop and hop over them turnstiles. To, to sneak on the trains to go to this to those meetings that we call cipher meetings, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, with you know with the whole inception of hip hop, I don't think anybody you know knew, especially during its inception, that it would be a worldwide like phenomena. And it, it's it's kind of you know like funny because you know like a few months ago I was watching you know Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix and they were actually discussing you know the whole you know, Sugar Hill Gang and the message, you know, like you were saying in your other interview in regards to what, you know, those two songs being the the, mo- the most prevalent, you know, pieces of, of music that actually started the whole hip hop thing on, on Wax. But what's your take on the Sugar Hill Gang? I mean, it's definitely, it was definitely a manufactured group, right? So, Taking it from the streets and then trying to make it mainstream, uh, where were you during all of this, and what was your take as these things were taking place? Well, just so you, just so you know, Sugar mm-hmm. Hill, we get them all the credit because they was like we said, the the they they started the 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 popularization of it on wax and radio and getting the the, the play for it. I give them kudos on that. Because, you know, they wasn't like Sugar Hill Gang was not the first rappers. They were just the first ones to get the attention for what they right. were doing because of uh, Sylvia Robinson, God bless her. You know what I mean? Right. You know, right. and a lot of people didn't know that she contacted and reached out and went and found a bunch of people, not just the not not just uh, the, 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 the Sugar Hill Gang. She reached out to a lot of people, you know what I mean? And and even her family, her kids and some of her business cameras, they don't know to the depth that she went to to meet with people and lo and behold thank god that you know when when i when i when i met her i was a kid i was 10 and a half but i came mm-hmm. back years later and signed to her son and she didn't even know that it, she didn't even remember it was me she she didn't know it was me but i signed to Joey Robinson Jr you know what i mean to his label directly and uh, uh you know what i mean under his the, which was under the umbrella of Sugar Hill Records his label was called Bonamy Records and uh so and and they had a guy on there. His name was already G. So I couldn't use the, the name G. And he's G. And then he got another G. And so I'm I so I, I left that right. name G man for a second and went to MC Friction. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. uh and recorded a couple of songs with them and whatever. But as I left it, I realized my roots is God's man, G man, God's man. So I went back to what what my mother named me when I was a kid. And remember, at ten and us being little kids, we couldn't get into clubs and promote this and make money on it. We couldn't make money for the label, so of course we wouldn't get those deals. So they had to get older people that literally could go into the clubs and promote it, and 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 do shows and make money for for the for it to become a business. Now, did we did did we know that it was going to get that big? I did. Cause, but I, cause I always listened to God. He always ordered my footsteps. And as a kid, I was born, you know, as a child, I was, I was, no, I was born with a veil on my face, and I know my insight was tight. 
and people get, come around me, and I don't care from what time period or when you met me, you always seen something different about me. You always knew something was special about me when you conversated with me. You always knew that I had insight to something. You knew that I was on a journey. And, and everybody will tell you that when they met me, they always it was always something about G Man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but now it's time to just put the truth out there. Let's just call it what it is. It was hip hop did not. No person that was called himself a DJ started hip hop. And when I was doing this in 1973, and 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 getting the culture started all the way with the name in 1975, it was no such thing as a hip hop DJ. Turntables didn't even spin backwards. They was only playing 45 records with the little dyke in the middle. So there was no such thing as a hip-hop DJ. Let's just stop with trying to take credit for, you know what I mean, and just do it to where, and take credit for where you was and how you may have transformed a certain aspect of the culture and made it great from your perspective. You know what I mean? That's good. I give you that. And it was not no funk band that came from the islands that was already in, in existence as a funk band overseas and come over here and convert to hip hop. You don't, you can't convert to something you ain't did, you know, and call and lay claim to it. Like you invented it. It doesn't happen like that. You might as well be Christopher Columbus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, no, I, no, I hear you. And I'm, and I, I I'm frustrated, but I keep it 100 because I got to mm-hmm. let people know the hundred percent truth. Let's just call it what it is. You know, they, people try to teach the culture in college, that don't work it fail because you can't go back to the essence and 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 the, and the beginning origins of the culture and, and to its infancy you can't go there so how can you teach it because you don't know you you go to the kids or the people are going to miss out on something because you wasn't there in the beginning you can only talk from once you converted from either being a a gangbanger a dope dealer or a hustler on the street or, or or wherever you come from. If you convert to it once again, you converted to it. That's when you started. You know what I mean? That's when you came from your elements and you became popular. Now I'm not knocking your talents. A lot of people got talent and a lot of people is, is great. I mean, off the, off the chain with, with what they do and I respect and love them all. But we talking about the, the, the core of the game, the beginning mm-hmm. Before the Snoop Dogs, before the Dr. Dre's, before the uh, the the the, uh, the, uh, the KRS ones, we talking about before the Run DMCs. We talking about when it was no such thing as these people. You understand? Because people and I, and what they do in the time that they was there is great, and they became successful, and they're very popular. But it does not make you a godfather, a grandfather of the game if you can't go back to the origins. Period. Right, right, and I think that's what. You know, in regards to trying to put either a label on hip hop or trying to find as a particular like point in time that it got started. I mean, we could go back to, you know, the dawn of time as far as like telling stories or what have you. So, you know, suffice it to say hip hop is a movement and it involved a wide variety of people. It started in a particular section of of the u.s as far as like this particular style of, of Hip, wait let's, clarify, music, let's right? clarify something hip-hop okay, go ahead. hip-hop is a culture yeah that's first and foremost the movement without the culture there'd be no movement so the, you know what i'm saying so it's the culture first then it becomes a movement because it's spread you know what i mean and um, uh and 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 then and let's just keep it 100 like when they doing songs, like I do timeless music. Everything I was a part of, every group I was a part of was successful beyond measures. Now, and but I kept my name in the back. I never got the accolades for it, which I didn't care because I never done this for the money and for the prestige. But now it's my turn. I got the new single. I wrote my new, my new single that just came out. We just put the video out. I wrote that over 20 years ago. Mm. So that tells you something about your artistry and who you are. Uh, the next song I got that, that may lead up to that after we get this rocking and doing what it's doing, I wrote that over 20 years ago. See, and and, and it's, it's amazing. See, when you do timeless music, something is special about that. And see, with me, I keep God in everything I do. He orders my footsteps. G-Man stands for God's man. The G stands for God. The dash between the G and the M stands for the bridge between God and man. I'm going to always be a God body five percenter. The main three principles of hip hop back then was was based off these three biblical perspectives, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, which has all but gotten and been lost. When I'm in in groups and I'm performing for them or with them or even if I'm bodyguarding, I stay in my lane. 
I never try to outshine the person that it's their time to shine. Like when I was in Robert, Rob didn't know who I really was. He just thought I was somebody named G that he met. And I be, and I was cool with him. And I and I had some elite training doing some previous bodyguard and stuff. And I became his bodyguard. He asked me to be his bodyguard. I did. Living bodyguard, living chef, living uh, uh, roadie, living homeboy, whatever he needed done, I was there to do it for him because it was his time to shine. And I'm a loyal brother. A lot of people came to me and asked me to leave and go work with them and offer me more money. But I'm so loyal and, and, and such a, a deep brother. I stayed in that pocket with my guy. That's my guy. I'm going to stay and protect him to death as friends as until it ends. We're friends. You know what I mean? We're boys. We're homies. We're like brothers. We, If I eat, you eat. If you eat, I eat. If, 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 if you need something and I got it, I'm going to help you get what you need. That's how it's supposed to be. And that's how this culture was was based on. This culture was not based on separatism. It was based on everybody that came together. If you needed a pair of shoes, man, look, man, we do whatever we had to do to put a dollar, two or three dollars together and get that person a pair of shoes. That's how we did it. We didn't get there and talk about this group and the other group and disrespect them, want to fight them, want to kill them, want to talk about our women and, and, and put them down, want to under-respect everybody else's women and, and female in their family, but want everybody to over-respect your women and your family. You got life messed the hell up. And when I start talking about this culture, I get I get real compa- passionate about it, man, because I start it start playing back the memories of all the disrespect. And I took a lot of disrespect, bro. Now my accolades, I got a bachelor's in psychology. I took disrespect. I got my uh, I got a cooking degree, a culinary degree. I took disrespect because when I say took disrespect, it's because I stayed in my lane and people knew that. I wasn't going to trip out about nothing and I was easy going and I was a nice dude. So people took advantage of situations and didn't give me my just due or my props, which is probably not my, my which is probably my fault because I wasn't so aggressive when I should have been and could have been. So then I got my uh my doctorate in the theology of music. You understand because I understood who the minister of music for the devil for for God was it was Satan. So I got my doctorate in the theology of music. So when I speak from what I know, I know I'm speaking from what I know. I know that book. I know I know my scriptures. I know that. But I'm still a man and God knows your heart. So you deal with God just like he's the best friend, the daddy, the 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 homie, the cousin, the uncle that you never had. You speak to him that way. He understands because he knows your heart because he made it. And then and then I, I I'm a professionally bodyguard trained by the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines to be a close quarters bodyguard through a special program where I was never in any branch of the military officially. So I was there plausible deniability because freedom ain't free. So you somebody have to sacrifice themselves to sacrifice to go do things so you can have the liberties that some of you un- unappreciative people got. So, and you, you understand what I'm saying? So when you, when you look at that, it's like I got a, a, a gumbo of a lifestyle. I got a gumbo of a history. My 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 I, my list goes on and on of things that I've accomplished. But what good is accomplishing things if you can't use it to help people and better themselves? And that's what I stuck on helping people when I didn't be selfish and help myself to be on top. I could have been taking all kind of bad money to do to do bad things with bad people, but I chose right. not to because I'd rather keep my soul than right. to spill well, it out. Yeah, well, that's the balance, right? Like you know, that's the balance between having all having that knowledge of, of self uh knowledge just plain knowledge in general and and knowledge yourself ego all those things i mean it's something that i battle you know with you know all the time on on the acting filmmaking front which is which is what i do you know you have to find those places that you know you can excel and excel and you know put yourself up front when you know you can do a particular job or, or, or what have you but uh we'll you know we'll we'll jump back to the hip-hop part of it you know in in a little bit but robert why don't you uh talk a little bit about about mad as hell and uh this this new movie that you're about to get started on uh well thank you um g-man's a hard act to follow I'm like my brother here so um well you got to put yourself in the smart you know around great people so <laughs> i got him specifically <laughs> for who he is and what he stands for. And I know that he can pull his uh, role off, but mad as hell basically is an urban version of death wish. So if you have a blender, you take death wish, you take um, falling down and you throw a little bit of heat and some 
Nestle's milk chocolate in it and you got mad as hell. <laughs> awesome. I love heat. It's pretty <laughs> much like that's my jam. So we got yeah. that and uh we have uh if you remember Cinda Williams from from uh she's fam- most famous for Spike Lee's movie uh, Mo Better Blues. She, Mo she Better Blues. is one of the lead actresses in this as well. So mm-hmm. we're going to have a, a, a ton of fun on this set. Now, man, you you are taking self-determination to, to another level. I mean, you know, not since, you know, the likes of like Tyler Perry, now that he has his own studio and not just a studio, we, we're talking about a complex, which is just crazy, you know, to, to see what, what are you hoping to do? Because you've got four films uh, <laughs> that are, that are in various stages of, of getting done. And you've got a fifth one that's happening right now. Where, where are you getting all of this? Like, how are, are you, you know, I, to lack of a better way of asking, like, are, are you writing all of these yourselves? Or are you, uh, buying scripts from people? Are you at no, a particular most, point now? Most of them, I I write myself. Um, mm-hmm. I collaborate with some other gentlemen. I just did this documentary on seven-time world kung fu champion Willie the Bam Johnson. And if you're in the, in the martial arts, you know who Willie is. He actually was on the cover of Black Belt Magazine. I think in I think it was November last year. So, mm-hmm. and he was on a WMAC Masters, if you remember that show. And um, uh, he and I collaborated and I, I directed his documentary. I kind of wrote the outline out and um, we got it together and it, it'll be out next year. So if I don't write it, usually I'll collaborate with someone. I'm not big into buying scripts or looking at other people's scripts. Because for me, um, I have this... Um, stuff inside of me that I have to get out. You know, when I was a kid, I was big into drawing comic books. Uh, me and my brother would compete against each other. I'd be one studio, he'd be another studio, and we'd write comic books and see who had the best comic book. And uh, he can only have so many um, actors or superheroes on his side, and I can only have so mm-hmm. many on mine. And, uh, and basically what I'm doing today is I'm just living that, what we did as kids. Well, that's that's what it's all about. I mean, I definitely remember when I was a kid, like the comic books that I had was, you know, like Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon, of course, Batman, Superman. I ended up on the DC uh, side of things. uh, And, you know, my son, you know, currently growing up, he's more Marvel. And so he looks at me like, Dad, you're so backwards. I was like, it is what it is. Okay. Definitely. Like when you have to force your son to sit down to fit, to to actually watch the director's cut of Batman v Superman and and tell him, listen, this version is actually better. <laughs> you know, he's like, whatever, man. <laughs> you know, it, like it's it that that's pretty hilarious. But you know, yeah, like we actually have a lot in common. You know, like growing yeah. up, I was always, you know, like comic books and you know, like well. Jeff, yeah, you're ahead. very you're very artistic. You're very talented. I was just telling G Man on the way over here that I envy your ability to act. I told him, G Man, did I did I tell him? What, who did I tell you? He reminded me of uh, uh, James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. Yeah, I was Shut like, up, man, yeah, I did. I swear <laughs> to God, I was like, he he's got talent like James Earl Jones. He's just very diverse. He's got a very powerful on screen, and so Jeff. One day soon, next year, God willing, I'm gonna be working with you. Awesome, awesome. Uh, you know, yeah, and you know, it's so funny because when I like to, instead of forcing things to happen, I realize that okay, we're in each other's orbit, right? Like, right. there's, you know, you're you're seeing what's happening. You're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. You always want to make sure that, you know, you're still like, oh, I, I see you. Yeah, yeah. You're doing good. Cool. All right. And well, I, I say all of that to say that, you know, instead, I, I've seen a lot of people try and force shit to happen. Right. Yeah, and it doesn't right. work. <coughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so I, 
I am humbled by your statement. Thank you very much for that. And yeah, definitely. Hell yeah. It's just like I always knew it was really just a matter of time before. Yeah. We actually and, started. You know, and we've yeah. worked together in the past, but we've never really worked together. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So this, it'll be an, it'll be an opportunity. I have a script um, called um, thou shalt not kill. And uh, I've already solicited the talents of uh Hawthorne James, if you remember him, Big Red from the Five Heartbeats. What? Yeah, and nice. uh, I think you would be perfect in that. Awesome, man. Well, uh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, shit. You made me lose my train of thought. But yeah, I'm just you know, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, because I think it was uh, you were working on some other film that had uh, Cinder Williams, you know, in it as well. I was like, oh, cool. It's good to know, you know, she's doing well. And I, you know, yeah. I always like seeing, always like seeing, you know, actors, you know, that was in prominent stuff, you know, still doing well and, and, and what have you. So what's next for you? Where, where do you see your production company? I don't know what, in the next couple of years. Well, um, I like to continue doing what I'm doing. Whatever God blesses me with, he blesses me with. I'm just going to keep it pushing, keep it moving, writing scripts, working with some fabulous people, uh, put myself in a position to give other people opportunities um, and uh, help with distribution for some other people. Now, I've, I've already done done that. I've got uh, some friends of mine from all over the world uh, get their, friend, get their uh, films distributed because they've had uh, run its roadblocks. So usually as an independent filmmaker, you make a film, you show it at a couple of film festivals and then it collects dust. Right. There's no, people don't know how to monetize their, their product. Maybe they'll do a Vimeo. Maybe they'll put it on Amazon, you know, but <clears throat> I've been fortunate and I've put myself in a position where my films can be seen around the world. I can help other people get their films seen around the world, you know, on uh, you name what platform and I, I have access to it. Well, see, that's that's the trick, right? Like, that's really like the trick. I mean, as much as I have looked into, you know, like distribution, like I know that's where that's where your livelihood is is coming from. And Mm -hmm. and because we have to struggle with not just being a black actor, being in a black movie that's only supposed to be distributed in one community you know this is a you know i don't want to bring bring up you know black panther that proved well i guess i, I am and i will like black, <laughs> black panther proving that you know like this isn't just a black film for well, black the, people the this thing, is a here's yeah. the thing here's the thing yeah and and this is how i see things and the way things uh my mentors explain to me when mm. people do like in the 70s, uh, one of my mentors is Fred Williamson. So let me tell you what Fred told me. Okay. Back in the day, everybody wanted to kill Whitey. Kill, kill, kill Whitey. Let's get rid of Whitey, et cetera, and so forth. Oh, but Fred said he didn't care who you were. If you were a bad guy, if you were black, brown, green, orange, he'd kill you. you know? and so other people got <laughs> stuck in that, let's kill Whitey, but he, while Fred was killing everybody and saving the day. So which one is more progressive? Which one is timeless? You know, which one can you apply to today? So a lot of independent filmmakers, a lot of urban independent filmmakers only make films with stories that appeal to the urban community. Even though I do urban films, my stories appeal to a larger audience. Mm -hmm. You know, so Mm -hmm. it's not about, you know... um, some stripper stole my drugs, you know, and I got to get her back or whatever, you know, but it, it, you know, I have stories that talk about mental health issues. I have stories that speak about, you know, even though they're action movies, you know, there's a lo- great aspects of relationship issues, you know, things that everybody can identify with. If you look right. at my film, Jackson Bolt, uh, even though it's an action film, one of the main stays of the, movie is the is the relationship between me and my wife you know we have yeah. a very volatile relationship uh, because i'm not paying any attention to her and anybody can identify with that if you're in a relationship if you're in a marriage right right that's you know? true 
and yeah. in my movie that will be out, I'm, I'm putting this plug in that will be out in January 21st, Snow Black. We have a character who um, has PTSD, you know, and she watches her family members die, and and she explodes. She just slowly unravels, and people can identify with that. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. it's it's the whole struggle with uh, with having the human experience told from our point of view. Which exactly. Is, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's got to be uni- a universal message, a universal story that everybody can relate to. Right. And and that's your particular, you know, type of storytelling. And I think, you know, just the evolution of, you know, we'll go back to the black exploitation film where, you know, it was pretty much like fighting against the system, fighting against the man or what have you. And, and mm-hmm. which is very valid. And, you know, you look back at, you know, history, you, you'll see certain events that provoked that particular response in an artistic way right and so the evolution of our films you know now is like you know hey remember we can have ptsd too you know you know women are black women feel pain you know they are emotional they're not just like strong and stoic or what have you yes they are right they're also soft and gentle and you know just you know the whole human experience right 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 so yeah yeah, right. and don't Go get ahead. me wrong. I, I, my films always have a black exploitation, quote unquote, feel to them. But what I like to say is, I have, I do black exploitation with a modern day twist. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, the human element is very, very important. The modern day stories of of our human experiences that transcend race and gender are what's important to me. No, for sure, for sure. And, you know, I think in general, just like with hip hop, that's, you know, as it turned from a a culture and many different types of people can adopt to that culture, you know, thus the reason why (laughs) hip hop is a worldwide culture, you know, from all over the world, there's at least, you know, one group of people from some part of the continent that's like hip hop, you know what I mean? Like they're, Mm -hmm. they're down with that. And so just the many aspects of what we do artistically, whether it's music or, you know, whether it's, you know, film or theater, what have you, I think, you know, really, I think brings everything, you know, together. Right. Right. So, so G-Man, where, where do you see hip hop in the next five years? And, and I understand you're, you're probably on, on a mission to probably, you know, to, to set some things right. Uh, what's going on with that? I think what's going to happen, and and I think that culturally, why it's gonna it's gonna even though the hip hop has become gl- a global perspective, and it, almost two hundred countries in the world, which we have, I think we're gonna see a lot more artists from a lot of other co- uh, countries, like. Japanese hip hop artists, you know, uh, Italian from from Italy, uh, even Germany. We're gonna have artists that are from everywhere starting to take over the reign because it's growing just that big, and we're not keeping our culture in perspective. And other people, like if you go in other countries, they know our culture, they know all the aspects. They're they're because it's new and they're learning it, and we have forgotten it because all we chase now is the dollar from a dream. You know what I mean? We chasing things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We're chasing the wrong stuff. Right. That's true. That's true. Go ahead. Oh, I'll let this part out. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's that's definitely, you know, like what's happening now. I mean, there are a few artists uh, now that, you know, since I'm, you know, much older, I'm listening to more music that is talking about something rather than, you know, the glitz and glamour, what have you. But, you know... I, I think we're getting back to that, like because we're in right smack dab in the middle of a revolution. You've got artists such as uh, J. Cole and and Robert. It's it's funny that you know that you mentioned that one of your shows, one of your movies, had someone that had you know that dealt with a mental illness because I, you know, like J. Cole has an album out where a song that you know they talk he talks about mental illness and that's something that we don't discuss you know, within the black, within the black community. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in regards to, 
uh, hip hop and music, you know, especially is what's what's going on right now. You've got artists such as uh, Killer Mike and the group Run, Run the Jewels, like their last album that came out. Uh, I can't remember the name of the song, but you know, he you know he talks about you know a young black youth being free until about the age of four, and then he progresses to uh, talk about this young child until he's killed by a policeman. And I think that's something that's that's very telling, you know, in these days. And and Robert, you know, again, I, I don't know, I guess serendipitously, you know, I, I caught your other Facebook Live and I wanted to check in, you know, with you, you know, in regards to you guys, you know, being pulled over on, on some, excuse my French bullshit, right? So how, how are you doing from that? Talking about me? <clears throat> yeah, 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 you guys well, were. you know, me, let me tell you, I got, I, it's not the first time I've been pulled over. Of course, you know, you get profiled and you get pulled over. And, but I, let me tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I've, I have, I, I don't have no issues. I've never had an issue where they try to lock me up and all that other stuff. They, only one mm. time I ever had to go downtown in a different city. That's because I didn't have my seatbelt on. And believe it or not, they said they, they locked me up because I didn't have my seatbelt on. <laughs> and the, and gave the driver a ticket because they allowed a passenger in the car to to ride without a seatbelt on. That was the craziest thing to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that's weird. But I got out. I got out in a, in a matter of hours. And and then, but, but before I got, of course, all the officers are coming, taking selfies and and getting autographs and 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 basically, you know, just giving me what I wanted to drink and treating me real real cordial. But when when I get pulled over, I get nothing but the utmost respect because I give nothing but the utmost respect. Right, right. Now I am a bodyguard, and uh, so when I tell I tell them who I am, so they already know who I am, what my capabilities are. They know this. So then, uh, and then I also let them know I'm, I'm a celebrity. You know what I mean? So I let them know that too. So the first thing they do is go and run your, of course, your ID and mines come up with flags. Do not detain. Do not delay. That's what comes up. That's right. because you don't know if I'm on a detail going to protect somebody. I could be going to protect the president. You don't know. Right. So you can't delay me unless you want liability to come be on your force. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? That's so, right. so, and I was telling Rob exactly what, what was the, what was going to happen. And just as I said, they came right back and said, okay, we, we held you long enough. We're going to let you, but instead of saying I was, oper- I was operating above my pay grade and, and I apologize for, for detaining you. And after you told me who you was and gave me your credentials, you know what I mean? So right. and then when he's walking away, he screams back, Oh, I love your song. What does that tell you? Mother. <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, at this you, particular I point, nothing event. I was coming from an event one night and uh, I was with my wife at the time. And uh, we coming, and we coming from a, a big event, you know, OJ's genuine. All all my bros, all my people, you know, genuine. That's my bro, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, uh, uh, Eddie Levert, that's my guy. You know, I said bodyguard uh, from time to time, Gerald, and I mm-hmm. quite a few artists. So you know, so I'm coming from the show. <clears throat> we get pulled over. We in Indiana, in Greenwood, Indiana, <laughs> redneck town. I'm trying to tell you straight up, racism, prejudice. You know That's what I mean? Shame. And they ain't no shame. You see rebel flags on houses out there. You know. So long story short, he pulls us over. And when he pulls us, he pulls us over, he says, So uh, you know, how you doing today? This is a this is a, a, a stop, a check stop for uh, you know, for uh, drinking and driving or whatever. Whatever you whatever it is. So I told him who I was and where I was coming from. So I said I'm coming from a, a show down at the convention center. And he was like, Convention center? Oh, what was the show about? So I told him who I was and what you know what's going on. This man said he he started jumping up and down. There's a white guy too, jumping up and down, clapping his hand. He he said, "Can I have your autograph?" I said, "Yes." Yeah. So I went. I said, "Give me some writer." He said, "Write it on my hand." I'm telling you, this was a police officer. I wrote my my autograph on his hand, and he said, "Go right this way," you know. And he and he ran over to the other police, not not walk as a grown man. He ran and, and said, "You guess what?" You know, telling them who I was, but I was already on my way. It was amazing. It was just, it's just like, I get amazed every time, you know, but, but I show respect yeah. though. See, I don't get yeah. all belligerent 
and cuss you out. I did tell the ex officer why you pulled me over. You had no business pulling me over or talking to me. Rather, why are you talking to me? Come to me when the driver giving you his information. You don't have to talk to the passenger. The passenger has nothing to do with this traffic stop unless you have probable cause to go any further. I give you a reason to go any further, or you smell alcohol, or you smell, right. or you smell marijuana, or something in the car, which gives you pro- right. probable cause. And I explained to the officer, I know the law like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you should be having this conversation with. With, with the with the driver. The driver gave you all the information. You have a good day. He said, well, I just want to know who I'm speaking to. And you talking to me. I didn't ask you for a conversation. Right. You know what right. I mean? So bottom line right. is, you know, he walked off looking like Bonnie Fife, his hand on his gun. He walks off and he, of course he has to come back and let and, and let us go. And I know right. what was in there. I know I know what came up on his computer screen. I can tell you. <laughs> what came up on his screen was do not detain, do not delay. Right. Period. Right. That's what came right. up, and it has a and it has a red flag on it, and the red flag means that if you hit that red flag on that computer screen, it's gonna open up to where you have to call the general. <laughs> and do you really want to go to a superior in regards? Yeah, you don't to, want you yeah. don't want to do all that. You don't want he, yeah. well, his best thing is to do is to say, "Look, have a good day," which he do, and I go about it because you don't want to go there because now they're gonna ask you're gonna start asking. Why are you even talking to this guy? This guy, this guy do anything wrong? They gonna say because this guy, he's not that type. He's not gonna do it. He's, he's the passenger in the car, and he's not not to mention he's the passenger in the car. But I'm not gonna. They know I'm not gonna get belligerent. I'm not gonna act up unless I'm provoked or or I'm assaulted. Right, and I guess that you know that's 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 the thing nowadays, right? Like, you know, when you're black and you're dealing with the police. I mean, you have many different types of ways and, you know, I I don't think there is no right or wrong way because it's the cop's job to end everything, you know, peacefully and, and to not, you know, escalate, you know, anything, you know, for that matter. But it just really struck me. Did you see that thing online the other day? This was the most amazing thing I've seen. It was funny as hell to me. It It was a couple of police officers, white police officers, they were sitting out somewhere, and they had this this tall African American man who sounded like he was from Africa or something like that. But oh, he was an FBI agent. He was an undercover FBI agent, and they handcuffed him. They assaulted him and everything. And then he said, "Wait, don't say." He said, "Wait, wait, what? Watch out! Watch, watch this! Watch, watch this! Look!" And he looked, and he pulled up, and then the guy gonna try to be nice and say, "Turn me, said, man, get off me." That was the funniest thing. I lo- I loved that right there. But only yeah. thing I think it took too long because I I would I would I would. Uh, advise against something like that because if it got to the point where you handcuffed and they shot you, it would have been too late to prove who you were. You saw, And when they approached you off the top and they said you're somebody else, the first thing you should have did was took your ID out, pull them to the side, let them see who you were so that they can go about their business with not giving up who you were and putting you in more danger. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. But, he, but, I, but I enjoy seeing him show out on them, though. I tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing now, right? Like, it's, you know, we're at a point to where, hey, you know, who are these people that we're hiring, right? No, go ahead. You were saying something? No, no, no. I'm sorry. I, I blurred out something. I didn't, I was trying to catch my guy without <laughs> making him, having him mess up something. My bad. Oh, no, no worries. No worries. Yeah, yeah. I was just saying, you know, in regards to, you know, who are these people that we're, that we're bringing in to, quote unquote, serve and protect? And, you know, I'm just glad that your experience at that particular moment, you know, ended to where you can be on this show, <laughs> you know. So I, I yeah, I mean, it's, it's all good. It's always my yeah. pleasure to talk to people, and uh, you know, and and I, I don't go overboard. Most a lot of people they underhandedly get these appearance fees for these interviews, and they do a lot. I do my people right. Only thing I told you in the beginning is make sure that when the t-shirts come in in, in a few days, <laughs> you purchase your t-shirt. It's, it promotes the movie and the new single, and 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 me. You know, on the front of it, it got uh, Mad as Hell for the movie. And then right underneath Mad as Hell, it got But Peaceful, because that fits mm-hmm. today's time. You know, what we're going through now. Mad as Hell, but Peaceful. You know what I mean? Right. And then right. on the back, it has a picture of G-Man, and it says the original G-Man of Hip Hop. And it has, like, my, my new video uh, promotion on it. Did you, see the, did you see the new video yet? No, where can we find the video? As oh a matter of fact, to, uh, well, to, yeah, yeah, give us everything. Give us everything yeah, go, that we need. Yeah. Go to YouTube, punch in the original G Man of Hip Hop, and you'll see the links with me with, with the video on there. The video is called Be Where You Are. It features Michael Jackson on there. 
and uh, and it's the it's it's the original Gmail of hip hop and the four bros. The four bros is myself, P Rod from out of uh, Paul Rodriguez out of uh, uh, Houston, Texas, Cat Cat Pillar from uh, Houston, Texas, one of the hottest MCs and rappers out there, and then uh, King Prez from out of the Florida area. Who's, who's doing some things out in the Sarasota area, Bur- uh, uh, Bur- Burlington area. So uh, I'm telling you, that song, the single is hot. It's the gumbo record. You're going to love it. I got Michael Jackson on there, sampled from when he was uh, 12 years old with the Jackson 5. The old oh, wow. song, remember, I Want to Be Where You Are? Mm-hmm. I got mm-hmm. we flipped that with some R&B, you know, and some hip hop on it. So you got to, you know, go get that, man. You can Google me at the original G-Man of Hip Hop. Uh, uh, I got the the new artist development program where we teach you everything from A to Z. It doesn't matter what the genre is. Uh, we 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 have a ninety day curriculum that we put you through, and by the time you get through with your ninety days, you have already built your resume by us getting you interviews, us getting you plugged in. You ready to go to find you a label to sign to? You know what I mean. And by the way, I'm looking for an independent label right now to put my new single out on because I want to do it on an independent label. I want to I want to start from scratch. I want to bring a, a new label to and help, and help them blow up, show them how it's done, how we can get out here and get it together without having to go to the majors. And I, I want to do it, being the example, set the example, be the example, so that people can see exactly how I'm doing it, and it's successful. It's gonna be successful if you just follow the training. You know what I mean? So yeah. once again, you know, go to the original G Man of Hip Hop on Google or, or Wikipedia or whatever. You got you got uh, you got G Man uh, for real. On uh on uh on on what is that on uh I went somebody did something made me lose my chain of thought. You got you got G Man for real on uh on uh Twitter. You got uh you got uh the original G Man also on another Twitter page. You got you got me on I'm on Spotify. The songs are out for sale. I'm on all the out online sales on sales outlets you can find the new single be where you are and you spell it the letter b capitalized the word where capitalized w e a e r e and then the capital u and capital r so it's be where you are spelled just like it said you know what i mean and then on facebook i'm g-e-e space man m-a-n you know what i mean uh Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we doing it, man. We ready, you know. Get the single. Go 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 purchase the single. Follow me on YouTube. Go to YouTube, watch the video. Actually I got two different versions of the video, you know, and, and I got three videos in the work with three more songs in the work. So that that's that's already finished, ready to do its thing. So but uh just follow me, the original G Man of Hip Hop. I get back at y'all. Here go Mr. Robert Perham. <laughs> All right, cool. I, and Robert, I, I where, where can Parham, you, uh... but I be saying Perham. That's my purse <laughs> No problem, no problem. Robert, how how can uh, how can our listeners uh get up with you and where can they uh see your movies? Um to reach me, you can go to MySpace. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> go to Dude, Dude, Black Dude okay. Well, we cannot be showing our age right now, right? <laughs> Black people meet. No, I'm kidding. Um, go on Facebook. You can reach me at Robert Parham, um, the guy with the bow tie, if my picture comes up. I'm on uh, Twitter at Kickboxing, K-I-C-K-B-X-N-5. And I'm on Instagram at the real Robert Parham. So you can watch my movies on... Uh, um, gee, where I start? Tubi TV, um, Amazon. Um, we're getting ready to do this deal with Netflix. Um, Crackle. Um, oh, gee whiz! There's so many platforms. There's so many. Platforms. everywhere. Yeah, my movies are everywhere. So cool deal, cool deal. Well, I'm proud of what you're doing, my man. I, you, I really, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you guys do next. I can't wait to be a part of your next uh, next film. Uh, I'm sure that'll happen uh, pretty soon. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll just reconvene uh, on the next go round. We'll do. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Good All right, my man. Thanks. Thanks, bro. episode of LJ Presents. As always, you can find me on my website at ljeffreymore.com, Twitter at ljeffreymore, and on Instagram at ljeffrey.more. 
If you like what the show has to offer and you'd like to make a contribution, make sure to check out my Patreon page. Your contribution is always appreciated. Make sure to check back next week for another great guest. See you then. Thank you.